Oh, World Leagues. Tales of Tiny Gods from Brooklyn Games is finally live on Kickstarter. I'm backing it right now. On its surface, Worldlings is a catalog of tiny gods that permeate the natural world. It's more than that. It's creating a mystery generator and pre-written story hooks that GMs can use to create encounters for the curious to investigate. And remember, as always, patreon.com backslash Brooklyn Games. You can get a new zine every month. Welcome to Wobblies and Wizards. I am your host, Logar the Barbarian, and I'm joined today by Rod, the owner and creator of Icegrim Creations. Welcome. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's, it's good to have you. It's good to have you. And I think the place that I'd like to start is maybe talking about a game you put out called Chromatic Dungeons. Sure. Uh, fire away. <laughs> I will say that when, when you get this book, and you open it there right there in the front cover they have a nice little like like power to the people fist and the dice coming up and it says no fascists allowed and i have to say that when i see stuff like that i really appreciate it thank you <laughs> yeah it, you're, you're welcome it's funny that actually does not appear in the first printing that the original backstars and kickstarters got and the reason for that and if you don't mind me kind of going into a little bit of a backstory with, with chromatic dungeons and how it came out with i started working on the project two and a half to three years ago and the reason i did it is because i've been a fan of old school gaming for a long time i started gaming in 1981 stuck with AD and d pretty much all through the third fourth edition eras and one thing i noticed is that you know those of us there, there's a lot of fun to be had in those old style games yeah that's you know not quite seen here it's loose it's lethal a lot of you know player skill that, that type of thing theater of the mind and what i was seeing talking with my friends that I was around today in modern communities, you know, as our, as our gaming communities really expanded as a whole, it's become much more diverse than it was in the eighties. Back then it was probably what 98% white male kids that were playing. And that's how the game was created and, you know, targeted for And now as we look around, obviously that's not nearly the case anymore. So when I was looking at some of the older material, I noticed that, okay, it's obviously catered towards white teenage boys, basically, which I was one of. And of course, you know, those old boobs everywhere and, and like, <laughs> like, you know, chain mill bikinis. And I thought, you know, I like to really be able to share that old school play style with new generations of gamers who are coming up that might otherwise feel like they're not being represented or even, you know, turned away in some respects to things that, you know, are from there. I want to be very clear with the disclaimer, and I make this kind of in the book. <laughs> I'm not accusing any of those game designers as being racist or bigots or sexist or any of that type of thing. I'm only saying that in the 70s and 80s, for the time period that it was, a lot of those kind of elements were, were included. I mean, you can just go, you know, go watch an episode of Laughing, which was a 70s comedy show, and the oh, kind of jokes that were being that. told in, in the 70s. And, and that's, they don't really not conducive for being in a comfortable environment for all of the, the, the gamers that are out there today. And I've got a lot of really close friends and family that I care deeply about that belong to traditionally marginalized groups. And for them, they flat out tell me, hey, look, you know, that, that's great, but I'm not going to pick up a book that's going to have, you know, this in it. And it's, it's not it's not really kosher to today's standards. And so that's why I started creating this to begin with, is because I wanted to create a book that was also inclusive, representative of our game group as a whole. So everybody's in there. As we are, we're all gamers, we're all nerds. It really doesn't matter 
who you come from, where what your background is, right through the table. So I want to make sure that everybody was feeling welcome to that. So I started working on the game. And then early last year, the whole new TSR thing came up mm-hmm. with the Justin Lanassa taking over the TSR logos, the lawsuits with Wizards of the Coast. And there seemed to be a really deep entrenchment between a lot of comments that I'm hearing from many in the OSR crowd, which include the new TSR group, um, several other old school proponents that are, I think are pretty toxic. There are comments that are coming out saying, you know, the, the woke garbage is ruining the game. And, and one of the biggest problems I have is those folks will say, you know, keep politics at the door. Gaming's for everybody. No politics at the door. But the very mention or representation of like a gay character in a book is suddenly inherently political you can't have it both ways. If you're saying keep politics at the door and diversity is inherently political, then you're telling all these people who aren't white male kids that they're not welcome to the table. And when that started happening, it was really like, okay, now I'm doing the right thing here because this is really definitely needed. The OSR, you know, I, I love it. There's a lot of great people in the OSR who are friendly and great people. There's a Facebook group out there that's called, you know, OSR fandom and their background is the pride flag. So there's a lot of great people in the OSR, but there's also a lot of toxic people out there. And I'm not going to try to necessarily name drop some of them. Most folks out there listening to this probably know who I'm talking about. Some of them were consultants with 5e when it first came out. And that's come back to, you know, to bite the company after they've come out with publicly statements that are not just, you know, on the edge of being, you know, offensive. Yeah. But outright neo-Nazi imageries are being shared by people who are in the employ of this new TSR group. Yeah, I'm not, you know, there's no hate in gaming. Is a, is a, they've documented it very, very well. I'm not going to go into details. Only to say that I think the need for something like Chromatic Dungeons is now been validated by what has been happening over the past year in the OSR community. Uh, I'm just kind of doing my part to be a voice against some of those toxic things and let folks know that there are a lot of folks that are old school gamers and been gaming for a while that are completely supportive of, of everybody, regardless of, of all these other different things that are that are falling into tribalism. And I think it's a reflection of what's happening in our society as a whole. The last five years in our politics tribalism, I think that's seeped into gaming as well. Um, it's unfortunate that that's happened, but I, I'm, I'm an ally and I'm going to be an ally. And I think part of being an ally is not just to be you know, supportive, but to be actively working against. It's kind of like, are you a racist? No. Or are you an anti-racist? You know, yeah. that, that's the difference. In anti-racist, you really need to actually take an effort to try to correct some of these things as you see them. And that's kind of where I'm at, because I understand that as a white male myself, I've had a lot of privilege, you know, in the years. The game was catered to me from day one. Um, so I just want to make other folks feel more welcome, because I, I have a mixed race family. I spent several years overseas in a country where I was one of the only white people there. And that's when it really kind of I, then I that's when I fully understood what it felt like to be a minority in a group. That's kind of a whole genesis behind why this was created. Mm-hmm. Just to make it not just, you know, Wizard of the Coast is doing a great job making the game inclusive for modern gamers. But I think the old soul style gaming, there's a lot. It's fun. I love playing it. I think a lot of people can still love playing it. Uh, I just want to make it to where everyone feels like they can play it. Yeah. There, there's a comment that I just did an interview recently with Andrew Girdwood for Geek Native, and one of the comments I heard when he asked me if I got feedback from the game. And I said, I had a discussion with someone right after it came out, and their comment was, you don't need to have, you know, representation of people of color or anything in your books, because the game's always been welcome for everybody. You could play whatever you want, so there's no need to include this diversity. 
And literally the very next sentence they said, they said, well, Chromatic Vengeance isn't for me because there's not someone who looks like me on the front cover. <laughs> and I was, like, I was like, just let that stew in for a second. Here you're telling me that there's no need for it because it's always welcome. And then literally the next sentence, you're telling me that you don't feel welcome because you're not being represented on the cover of Chromatic Vengeance because there's not a white male on the cover. There are lots of white men inside the book. I mean, one of the whole page, Larry Elmore, wizard, who's obviously a white male in there. So just because it's not on the cover, you're telling me that you don't feel welcome. Well, congratulations. You just proved my point. But that's that's kind of the long story of why I've kind of put the story behind Chronic Dungeons, how it came about, why I'm creating it. And kind of my motivation for future projects that I'm working on is kind of tied in with those things as well. I, I really appreciate that. And there is I, I don't think it's um, specifically the gaming community that's facing this problem, but society in general has having some of this problem. That's yeah. And it's just reflective of what's going on out there. Um, perhaps I know people have said if you're into the old school games, that's going to attract some sort of like old school going back to back in the day ideology. But I also like to point out that there's not just old school bigots. There are old school anti-fascists out there as well. And we've been around there for a while. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there is that. And that's it. And that's what I'm trying to help promote is I think those of us who are old school who are also, you know, fighting for equality and fairness, we, we need to be loud because our the other folks are loud. And they're they're calling themselves as the stewards of the OSR. There's there's a few people, I won't name names, they've actually literally come out and said they represent the OSR. They speak for the OSR. And I'm like, no, you don't. You know, you're not any more special than I am or you or anybody else. So we're just all old gamers. And there are lots of folks out there like me that that speak out against it. Andy Markham is is one of the loudest proponents of anti-fascism he's a great guy he's hosted a lot of he's the one that hosts the osr site and so there's a lot of us out there who are trying to speak out against some of those other communities and and likewise bigots aren't limited towards the osr there are plenty in, in every edition of fans as you mentioned because of just our, our generalization of tribalism i do have a theory behind it why there's probably more in the osr mm-hmm. and and that's because when Wizards of the Coast started making it a corporate intentional decision to really focus on inclusivity and having that represented in the books, those folks who are not comfortable with diversity or inclusivity, the only game option they had left was to go back to those OSR books where they were 99% white milk, you know, cheesecake and making booze everywhere. And they weren't finding that in modern editions. So folks that enjoy that style mm-hmm. started moving into the OSR. So I think that before OSR was just like any other group. You had good, you had bad, even the same. But now with the changes that Wizard of the Coast has made, it's pushing folks who are not comfortable with diversity or inclusiveness to go back to a gaming system where there really wasn't that much inclusive diversity represented within the books. It's just a theory I have, but it, it makes sense. And I, the thing I've said is we don't really, I don't really play fifth edition and we don't cover it a lot in here, but we have had some fifth edition creators, people who are making third party content here. I tend to focus more on independent creators, people putting stuff out there, smaller companies that are putting stuff out. But the one thing that I've said is that if I do have a problem with fifth edition is that it's owned by a large company that makes pro that makes books for profit for shareholders, as opposed to gamers who make games for gamers and at the same time, if this large company is pushing to rectify social injustices, that's not a negative. That's a positive. That's something I want to be. I want to speak on and say, yeah, they're doing the right thing there. Like, I will support that, what they're doing there. And I like that, the fact that they're taking steps to rectify some of those things and examining it. 
And that's a, that just says within society how we're changing as a society to fix some of the problems that we've had in society that haven't been talked about in the past as openly in larger format media as it has been recent in recent years. So yeah, it, you know the question can be asked: is, is Wizards doing that because it's the right thing to do, or is Wizards doing that because that's where the target demographic and market is? Yeah, you know, it's probably a little <laughs> bit of both, right? Well, I yeah yeah I'm I'm not. I'm not, I've never been the biggest proponent of capitalism, really. Well, I can't say that. I was raised very Reagan household. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so same, we were big same. proponents of capitalism. But but in my adult life, I've been kind of down on it. So I, yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to, I think there's a little bit of, the, a little bit of some of that going on there, you know. <laughs> that, well, I, I know, I noticed your rage against the machine hat you've got on. So. <laughs> oh, I got to see them a couple of weeks ago in Cleveland. It was oh. beautiful. Oh, <laughs> it was beautiful. A little, little bit jealous. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about. I'd like to ask about Chromatic Dungeons itself. Now, it could you tell us what is similar to older editions of D and D, and what's deviating? How it's changed as well? Uh, sure. And this I'm is sorry. Older editions of fantasy role playing games, not D and D, because that's what I said. <laughs> oh, sure, sure. <laughs> um. Well, that was actually one of my biggest challenges. Was my my goal. I had it written up. So I was, okay, what's the mission statement of this, of this this product? I want to capture the essence of the feel of what gaming was like using those old rules, while also not necessarily incorporating those rules, you know, word for word, because they were clunky and messy. And there were a lot of modern sensibilities that we've had since then, like ascending armor class versus descending armor class. Now, I, I don't have a problem with that. Code. It's, I'm easy to use it. That's because I grew up on it. But it's, it's, it's a common fact that addition is generally more intuitive than than subtraction uh, even if there's not a huge difference between the two you know totally mathematically so what i did is i said okay well how can i do this how can i capture the feel of what those old school gaming's like while also incorporating and changing some of the rules so what i did with chromatic dungeons is i really tried capturing the aesthetic of the old school game if you're looking through the book you notice that the font is the same as the old player handbooks from first edition I um, reached out to a lot of freelancers, including uh, Brian Glad Thomas has an art style that is very, very reminiscent of James Holloway. And if you go to like the dragon section and some other things, he did a lot of art there. So the, the aesthetic from the art to the presentation, it had a, a lot of the feel of those older games. Um, and then I kept some of those core rules that are that are pretty generic with someone who perks up first edition or second edition. They're going to see things in there like, you know, classes and saving throws and and things like that where i've deviated is i kind of got away from the whole race aspect and went more towards you know heritage i've never really liked the term race anyway and this is going back years and years just because the, the the definition of race didn't really fit with when you're talking about elves and dwarves and versus humans and other things so i went more towards using it an ancestral term because i felt that was a little bit more accurate and then i got away from where each of those races slash ancestries are the same across the board. Like all dwarves, our dwar all dwarves have the same abilities, you know, traits and whatever. I separated that and put that into a separate heritage. So depending on what the player character's heritage is, that's where a lot of those traits and features can come from. For example, if you have a human, but grew up and spent their entire life living in an elven village, some of that elven magic or whatever you want to call it could have permeated into that so they chose like a, a fey heritage that gave them resistance to the sleep and charm like a traditional elf might have in these older games 
Uh, I really, that's one of my favorite parts of the game because it it gives that layer of customization that didn't necessarily exist in those older games while also maintaining the simplicity of those older systems. You look at like more modern editions where every time you get a level, you have like choices. Do I choose this feat or that feat? Or do I do this skill or that skill? In those older games, you didn't really have that. Your decision-making was at the beginning of character generation. What class am I going to be? What am I going to do? And you kind of go from there. And that made character gen faster. It made leveling up faster. So you spent most of your time playing the game rather than making decisions. So Chromatic Dungeons is very similar in that, that most of your decision-making is going to be at the beginning when you create your character. But there's also going to be an added layer of customization in there. So if you run into like a halfling in the game world, you don't automatically assume that, oh, you're playing a halfling thief. Just like, you know, which you could safely assume happened in, in like first edition. <laughs> so I that's where I kind of deviated from. The saving throws are very, very similar, but I just renamed them a little bit to make it a little bit more sense. Like uh, there's a reflex saving throw that's there. So anything that's based upon your reflexes would fall under that. You know, instead of having the death, poison, paralysis, wand, spells, and dragon breath, whatever, it's now like reflex and creature ability and, you know, spells. So that's a little bit more simplified. But in general, there's, there's still a lot of similarities there to how they work. So anybody who's picking up that chromatic dungeons, who their only experience is playing maybe first edition or second edition or even basic expert, is going to be very familiar with how the game works out. So when you're playing it in the actual gameplay, the, the feel is going to be very, very similar to if you were playing with those other earlier editions. It's just a little bit more streamlined, uh, a little bit more smoother. I try to incorporate the best elements from Basic and Expert from Molde Cook, um, second edition and first edition. And I took the best elements from all three of those and then try to combine them into one You know, going forward in, in, into that. So that's kind of where I differentiate and where it's kind of similar. Well, I really appreciate what you've done, especially the idea behind it. It's, it's. I feel that that's what we need more of, trying to address essentially the issues that were present there in the game, it seems, that have been brought up at this point. Quite a few conversations have been had online and elsewhere yeah. that I feel are, are, it seems that this is kind of a response to some of those conversations to me and some of those critiques of the game. Yeah. If, if that would be correct. No. You have quite a few other things out as well, such as the Noel Sage. <laughs> yeah, that's actually, um, again, the old school fan paying homage to everything is um, the Noel Sage is kind of like a mini dragon magazine from back in the day. Most issues will have like an ecology of, like they used to have like ecology of the elevator or ecology <laughs> of the, the orc. And, and some of them introduced also new character classes like dragon magazine would have like the the commander class or the psionists or the the animus and then of course there's a section for new magic items and new spells and um the dungeon humor section because that was one of my favorite parts <laughs> of dragon magazine was those those comics at the end so yeah the null sage is kind of like a, a mini version of that it's a zine it's like i think it's five by six in, in size so it's smaller they're between 30 and 40 pages long each but yeah, they're they're in that element. They are initially written for the Chromatic Dungeons rule set, but they are extremely easy to transfer or to convert into any OSR version. Yeah, it it, it seems to fit. And looking through everything, it seems to fit pretty well with your your basic mm-hmm. old school D and D style games. And I, I'm going to move forward a little bit more. You also had just recently ran a Kickstarter. You're doing some fifth edition stuff as well, correct? Yeah, actually, it's called Twilight Fables. And the reason I created it was because uh, we, we talked about earlier how 
Wizard of the Coast is moving towards that bright and happy and friendly and Disney-esque, you know, Fae, that type of thing. So Twilight Fables is actually, it's a folklore book, but it is more Brothers Grimm than it is Disney in, mm-hmm. in how that folklore is coming through. I wanted to bring a book into, you know, the tradition that really brought that original folklore in. And when I was doing a lot of research on creating it, you know, a lot of that folklore was it was pretty dark and it was not, not everything had a happy ending. Not everything was sugar plums and, and, and fairies. There was whimsy back there, but there's also a lot of dark themes that are attached to it. Things uh, such as, you know, child abuse and um, a lot of sexism, consent issues and those type of things. So that brought up another conundrum and said, okay, well, how do I bring this original folklore into the modern game while also being respectful of these issues and people that may have potentially triggering, you know, issues onto it. And, definitely not endorsing any of those type of things. And I came yeah. up with a way right at the beginning of the book, there is on the cover, there is a warning that says reader discretion advice. So people right off the bat, know they're not going to open this book and see like all kinds of crazy stuff. And in the very first page, I have a little disclaimer and it's just a whole page that tells you how to handle these things as a guideline. But there is a little icon I have that on the impacted page for the monster entries, there's a little icon that alerts the reader. Hey, this is, this has got a potentially, you know, uh, an issue in here. And the reason I have it in there is because during my research into the, the old folklore, there's a really common theme. You know, back then in the, you know, the Middle Ages and prior to that, it was a lot of, just, you didn't have science. So the unknown was dangerous. The forests were dark and dangerous. You couldn't see, you didn't have flashlights, you didn't have satellites, you didn't have GPS. Rivers were dangerous. You could fall into the river, children, everything. So many of these stories were created as cautionary tales, mainly directed towards children. You know, do you want to keep your children away from that river? Well, tell them a story about how there's a kelpie that lives in there that's going to come out, kidnap them, and drag them <laughs> underwater. So, I mean, they took them to really big extremes, but that's that's how a lot of this folklore came through. So this book incorporates a lot of that that grittiness. I don't want to say, I hate using the term like grim or grim dark, but it, yeah. it kind of is. <laughs> And so I initially had that as a five year project and it's, it's already you know been done and complete and written. And midway through the campaign, I had several people ask me, Hey, can you do an OSR conversion of that as well? Because, you know, I, I love what you're doing. I love the themes. The R works great, but I don't play fifth edition. I play some of the OSR stuff. Can you do it? And so I said, sure. So I went ahead and during the middle of the campaign, I spent several hours going through every stat block, converting everything over to OSR, going through every page, in the lore section and the campaign that's included and the player's options and, and started converting that to an OSR version as well. So Twilight Fables is actually out there for two different versions, the 5e original version and then the OSR version as well. And both of those, by the time your listeners are listening to this, um, depending when they get it, the, the digital copy should be available out there already, probably on drive through or directly through my website. The hard copies probably won't be ready um, until now probably november um because i'm going through an offset printer rather than print on demand and that takes a little bit longer to get that stuff set up i don't know when this is going to air so whenever you listen to this around that november time frame is when everything will be available excellent excellent i, I like those offset print books not gonna lie <laughs> they're yeah. nice they're nice um now let's uh let me ask about your how you went from like what your what is your history of gaming what inspired you to start writing games and putting games out there how did that trajectory go and what is it that 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 kind of drives you or inspires you now like what's what's the things that gets you going well gosh you know when i started in 1981 was our first game my older brother we were playing out the front front of our our 
our house and he had the, the like the map in between us we we're playing basic dnd and yeah. i was playing a level one cleric and the very first room i found a skeleton we fought and i beat it i only had one hit point left oh no <laughs> and my brother says okay where, which direction do you go and i say i go left because to me left was the door but yeah. the map was between us so his left was the wall and he said oh you run into the wall and take one hit point damage you're dead <laughs> oh, no. and that was my very first experience to, to role-playing games in DD. but it's like despite that i was still immediately hooked i was like okay well now i want to play a fighter see if a fighter can do, do it even better <laughs> um, so that my love was created right then and there and it, this was also at the time when i think um clash of the titans came out in 81 i believe <laughs> so that was on hbo and i saw that and immediately fell in love with that and all the rest <laughs> of harry Housen movies that movie was so cool when i was a kid <laughs> yeah you know if i could get a hold of a replica of that sword I, I, i'd pay big money for it but um but no so my imagination was really stoked right then 1981 was the big the big thing and then um, I wrote my first role-playing game in 1986 with some of my friends um, from junior high and high school. It was handwritten on like, I think it was like 25 or so pages. I still have the scans for it. And it includes my atrocious artwork <laughs> as I was doing it. And that came about because we had just watched, uh, no, 87 is when I did it. Because we had just watched Predator, Robocop, and Aliens. <laughs> and I was like, let's cre let's create a role playing game that like combines all these three things in one. Yeah, that'd be so cool. You know, it's teenagers do. Yeah. And I never stopped writing. Um, I want to say, in the late nineties, I, I spent some time in the military service in the early nineties and the nineties. The late nineties, I came back, and that's when I actually started to really focus on it, becoming a more a uh, a hobby indie publisher. Mm -hmm. Um, I started writing from then. I've been doing games since then. I came out with a game that won. Die Hard Game Fan's Best New Game of the Year in 2011. That was um, Compact Heroes. Some people may know it. It's basically an RPG in a card format. Not collectible, but just card format because as a military vet, you can't bring all your books when you're employed. So something yeah. that's in a card format, <laughs> deck of cards, that was more portable. And I've been writing ever since then. I had to take a few years off several years ago just because life happens and things come up. In the last three years, I've really gone to another focus again. I'm at a place now where I'm fortunate with my job and career at home that I can really devote several hours into writing. And so I did Chromatic Dungeons last year, then the Null Sages in between, and Twilight Fables is coming out this year. And who knows what the fable, the fable, the future uh, lies in, in products. I've got a few ideas that I'm going to be working on. One is an illustrated guide to combat. Do you remember those old like medieval transcripts of like sword fighting techniques and those type of things? Yeah, I know what I was what referring to. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So I want to do a book that actually is a more modernized version of that, but but like, what does is, what is a trip look like for somebody who's wielding a flail? What does a critical hit might look like if a monster has eight tentacles? Super? So it's like an yeah. illustrated version of all yeah. these different these scenarios that come up in a combat. Just kind of like a, a fun thing that's system agnostic. Um, and then true to my old school roots, one thing I'm also working on right now is taking a lot of those old choose your own adventure books, those endless quest books from the early 80s. Like oh, yeah. years and those. I've got plenty of those. <laughs> I, am, I am converting those into adventures. Um and I'm fleshing them out a little bit bigger. Of course, they, you know, they aren't very long if you were to put them to adventure. So I'm adding different passages. For them to but the core theme is all there. Just as like an homage to all those old adventures to where you can now, well, here's a here's an OSR version, OSE version of Mountain of Mirrors. Um, they have that. I'm very fortunate that Rose Estes, who wrote all those books, oh, yeah. um, she lives about an hour and a half away from me. Oh, really? That's cool. I got, <laughs> so, I got some of her books over there. My Summer Greyhawk books are on the shelf. She yeah, Greyhawk, yeah. 
Yeah, she owns a, <laughs> she owns an art gallery. So she's oh an wow, she owns an art gallery. Yeah, I didn't um, know that. That I can go talk to her. You know, bounce ideas off her. So that's kind of where we're at going forward and different ideas and thoughts. Well, that, a little that, bit of my own background. That's excellent. That's excellent. Now we're coming pretty close on time. Um. But before we go, I, I just want to hit up. Uh, I want to hit up and make sure that everybody knows where they can find your work online and where they can pick it up and everything like that. So, could you let them give them an idea where they can find pick up your books? <laughs> uh, sure. It's uh, I do use Drive Through RPG as a primary um, fulfillment center because it, it's so easy. Mm-hmm. Also, I have my own website, which is www eyesgrimcreations.com which I-Z-E um, G-R I'm trying to remember it G-R-I-M creations.com uh, you can probably Google for it and be, be pretty easy to find as well um, expanding my website to include an online store as well so if folks don't have a drive through account or if they don't want to go through drive through then they should be able to get those things directly from my website you can always go to my website and find out a lot more information I like to give a lot of information for free like if you were to look at at my Twilight Fables project that I had, I was given out free previews left and right, tons of artwork. I even gave out playtest packets that were publicly available to anybody who wanted them. Um, because for me, and you mentioned this a little bit earlier, unlike a corporation, I'm not in it for the profit. I'm in it because I love to do it. I love the gamers to have come out and do it. Um, heck, I'm, I'm barely breaking even with what I'm investing in these things. And that doesn't matter to me. I'm fortunate enough to be in a career to where I can do this. So the more people that are having fun, then that's what it means to me. Sharing your ideas and having people enjoy them. That, that's where it's at. That's where the reward is at. Excellent. Excellent. Well, it's been good having you. It's been good getting a chance to talk to you. I know I've been, I, I, I think we have first contacted each other a few months back and it's taken a while to get you actually on here yeah. on the, the show. Yeah. So it's glad, I'm glad to finally have you on here. It's been nice talking to you. I am truly honored for you having me. Thank you very much for doing that. Um, no it was doubt. my pleasure indeed. And I'm glad that it's really worked out. If you need anything from me, any information, always feel free to ask. In fact, that's true for anybody listening. Just reach out and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Excellent. Excellent. If you've enjoyed what you've heard here today, give us a positive review wherever you're listening. You can find us on Facebook. Search Wobblies and Wizards. Wobbliesandwizards.com is our blog. I'm on Twitter at LogarHailCrom. We're on Patreon. We can use any support we can get. Patreon.com backslash Wobblies and Wizards. And as always, keep those dice rolling.